I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Dr. Frankie, and welcome to Vision of Health the podcast where I talk to qualified experts about what being healthy really looks like. Through our conversations, we'll bridge the gap between the scientific evidence base and you, the everyday person who just wants to live a healthier lifestyle. I am very much on a mission to provide evidence-based educational content and practical tips that you can actually implement in your everyday lives. Our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh, who have supported me for a number of years now, share the same vision, to open up conversations on taboo subjects, to bust the health myths and improve women's health. FemFresh are not only industry leaders in women's intimate hygiene products, but also committed on educating on all things women's health. And this podcast just wouldn't be possible without their support. You can also catch on socials at FemFresh underscore UK and on their website, FemFresh.co.uk. I'm Dr. Frankie, and this is my vision of health. When talking about our health, our next guest might seem a little out of the box, but I think it would be a massive elephant in the room when we're discussing mental well-being and our mental health to not discuss the impact that money and financial worries can have on our mental well-being and our mental health. I was staggered to read the stats that over a third of us worry about our money on a daily basis. I read some stats that I've got here that one in two adults in the UK don't feel confident managing their money. And one in third of us say that thinking about our financial situation makes us feel worried. And similarly, when I think about patients that are suffering with a mental health condition, when you are in the lowest lows of depression or in a period of anxiety, it can be really difficult to have the mindset of taking control of your finances. And so that kind of perpetuates a vicious cycle where your financial situation gets worse. 
even thinking about my own practice where I see cancer patients, you know, they're dealing with a really massively emotional burden of a cancer diagnosis or treatment. And some of them are worrying about how to get to their hospital appointments or the financial burden they might leave behind. So here to talk to us today is the wonderful Laura Ann Moore. She is a money mindset expert. She is also a financial well-being speaker and coach. And she teaches people about finances in a fun, judgment-free and accessible way. She is the founder of Mind Money Soul, which is an educational platform which helps empower and educate people to take control of their finances. She has built a loyal and engaged community of over 55,000 people because she produces such educational and accessible content about money and finances. And she's also regularly featured on the news. So we are delighted to chat to you today, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So here on Vision of Health, we are all about opening up conversations about taboo subjects. And I know when we were chatting before we came live, we were talking about how people in the UK, which is staggering to me, are more open about talking about their sex lives or even their mental health condition, which used to be a taboo subject, than they are about their finances. Talk to me a bit about that. Yeah. So there was a piece of research done by a company called Hearst and they showed it was done with women aged 18 to 35. And it highlighted that 68% of them would happily talk about mental health. And yet only 48% of them would happily talk about finances. And I think it's just so interesting because in the UK, there is a massive societal belief that talking about money makes you crude, rude, you shouldn't do it. It's very like frowned upon. And we see that played out in things like work, right? Because you can get in trouble if you ask your colleagues about their salary or, you know, I was always really aware of if my parents was like, you can't, you can't ask somebody that question about how much this was or how much that was. But I think the issue with that is it creates so much shame within us. And I think that's one of the reasons, especially when it comes to debt, people end up suffering in silence because you're made to feel like you should just come out of school and you just know what to do. It's like, okay, well, you go to school, you go to uni, you get a job, crack on. And yet there's a sort of gap, I guess, in the financial education of knowing what what you need to do, what is the right thing to do. And a lot of my audience, a lot of, I guess, my clients that I work with, there is a lot of like shoulds. What should I be doing? What should I? And it's this, it's all the same questions. And people have that fear of like, I'm the one not doing something right. I'm the one who's missing the secret sauce. And actually, Obviously, you need, you know, like, I guess a basic level of like financial education, but I'm a massive believer that the more you talk about money, the better. Like talking about it with friends, family, partner, I think it's so empowering to be able to have money conversations. Yeah, I've absolutely experienced that myself, particularly working on social media. You can have people that are doing the exact same job as yeah. you and you're all getting paid a different rate. And people, you're, you're right, are afraid to speak, you know, how much should I ask this brand for? Or how much am I worth for this piece of piece of content? And so you're right, I think we do need to be having more conversations about that. Yeah. And I think that worry really does have a real kind of core impact on people's well being. I think there are two things to address when we're talking about money worries. Obviously, there's a group of people that just don't have enough money who are really suffering, particularly now with the cost of living crisis. But then there's another cohort of people that kind of on paper may have enough money, mm -hmm. but are still worried about it because you're right, they don't have the financial education or they're not used to having conversations or they don't know how to manage their money. What's your experience of that? Yeah, I always say to people when they come to me and they feel like they're overwhelmed or feeling anxious or stressed about money, 
instead of just assuming where they're at, it's like, what is it that's actually causing your anxiety? Sometimes it is a practical issue. Like you literally don't have enough to cover the lifestyle that that you currently have. And that could be, you know, unfortunately some people are in a position where their wages don't even cover their basic needs. And that's when you're looking at, you know, the practical solutions. But sometimes it's a money mindset thing. It's a, what is your relationship with money like? Because I've had clients who are in an incredible practical financial situation. They have enough money. They've maybe got an emergency fund. They've got money in investments. Maybe they own the house. And yet still the stress and the anxiety is there. And that comes down to, understanding what your own like money beliefs are your own money mindset and your relationship with it so I think the key thing is like first off identifying where that anxiety actually comes from because that's going to inform you on what you can then do about it because otherwise you run the risk of assuming that you need to have a budget maybe but maybe you don't need a budget maybe you actually need to do some like money mindset work and you need to journal on why you feel the way you feel about money and I think a lot of the time I have a lot of people in my audience, like clients wise, where they have light bulb moments around, oh my God, this thing that happened to me when I was younger is why I don't feel safe with money right now. Or it's like, right now what I'm doing is I'm listening to the news too much. And obviously it's important to be informed, but there's a lot of, you know, we're hearing about inflation and cost of living crisis. And that language kind of <laughs> can infiltrate you and make you feel more overwhelmed than maybe you need to feel. So I think it's really important to like, assess, I guess, first of all, which category you fall into and like, what is it that's actually causing these feelings? And then that allows you to go, right, what are the next steps that I need to take from there? So when you say money mindset, what do you mean by that? So your money mindset is basically a unique set of beliefs and attitudes that you have towards money that impact the way that you save, spend and invest. Your money mindset is kind of made up of like, I guess, five main things, which is like religious, cultural, societal, generational and individualistic beliefs. The biggest one and the one that I guess everybody has in common is like your individual beliefs and that's created from your money story. So for me, my money story was I was raised in a family with, you know, mum and a dad, they both went to work. I had three siblings and we just never had enough money. It was always, we can't afford that. Money doesn't grow on trees experiences around seeing how stressful lack of money and lack of financial education can have. And that stayed with me right into my like twenties. The way that it affects you is when you're younger, when you're like between the ages of zero to seven, you don't have your analytical mind yet. I always say, imagine you're like a little sponge. Everything you hear, everything you see, everything you sense, because energy as well, you just take on to be true. Because your parents are the people who you're getting that information from, you're learning from. So if you see them always out of work, but you never have any money, you might form the belief that money's hard to make or money's hard to keep. Everybody's going to have a different version of this. But the key thing is that usually your money mindset is set by the age of seven, wow. which is so young. But I always say to people when I say that, that, our brains have neuroplasticity, right? So it, it can change. It's more about understanding what happened to me when I was a child or what experiences did I have that have a strong emotion attached to it that maybe have an impact on how I manage and view money now. So if we take me as an example, like I said, I had the belief that money was really hard to make and that played out by when I was like 16, I kind of ended up becoming the opposite of my dad and I hoarded everything. I was the best saver, but it all came from a place of like pure fear, mm. like scarcity, lack, not having enough. And it wasn't until I did my financial coaching qualification when I was like 26, 27, so a couple of years ago, that I 
really understood the impact that my childhood had on how I now view money. So it's just asking yourself questions like, what do I believe to be true about money? Or what, how do I feel about saving, spending? What are some of my earliest memories of money? There are ways that you can, I guess, start to explore what your own money mindset is. That's really interesting. So if someone is experiencing a lot of anxiety or guilt or stress over their financial situation, even the concept of, I don't know where to start, you've mentioned looking at their money beliefs, but if they have negative money beliefs or they've had some early experiences that have informed how they feel about money, how can they change that? So I always say awareness is the first step. Just being completely judgment free and just journaling is great. Working with a coach, meditating, you know, using things where it's very introspective and you're like asking yourself or someone else is asking you questions. When you become aware of what your belief or limiting belief might be, you want to challenge it. The classic thing of like, is that really true? So with my one, money is hard to make. Is that really true? Because there are thousands, millions of people out there who are making more money than me that I was at the time. And again, social media is obviously a highlight reel, but it looks like it's a lot easier than I'm. my brain is telling me it is. And the thing is, your brain always wants to keep you safe. Anything you tell your brain it's like, okay, well, we want to keep you safe. It doesn't care to keep you happy. Mm-hmm. And because we have this thing in our head called the reticular activating system, so it's we're filtering. So if you're saying money's hard to make, your brain will go out and find ways that prove to you money is hard to make. Yeah. So when you start to challenge and say, is that really true? You can start to, in your world, look for evidence or create evidence that is the opposite of that belief. So for example, if your belief right now is I'm really bad with money, or, you know, I always have been, I always will be, you can start to create evidence to show actually I'm getting better. And then I'm a massive fan of using your language to change your beliefs. So creating mantras or affirmations that are essentially the opposite of what the block is that help you start to convince yourself, convince your brain that actually there is another way, there is another possibility. That's interesting. I follow someone on Instagram. She's a therapist, but incorporates a bit of hypnotherapy. And sometimes I'm just scrolling on my feed and then I hear this affirmation and it's like, people will pay a lot of money for my service. I attract wealth. Like all of the things I dreamed of are coming to me. And and it sometimes startles me. You know, when you're just in kind of yeah. a scroll hole and you don't expect to hear that. And they always make me feel quite uncomfortable. And I guess now on reflection from what you've just said, that's probably because they contradict some of my inherent kind of money beliefs. Yeah, That's interesting. It's not something I've thought about before. Yeah. So speaking positively about money and, and opening up conversations is a step that people can do. Definitely. And like I always say, it's not just about obviously positive talk and using affirmations is so important, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. Like you have to essentially take action as well. So that could look like, for example, in my case where I thought money was hard to make, I created the opposite belief or the mantra, which was money flows to me easily. When I first started saying it, I honestly was like, oh, cringe. But over time I was like, oh, okay. And what would happen is I would become hyper aware of all the little ways maybe money was coming to me. Something as simple as one time I found a tenner on the floor and I was like, money does flow easily to me. And then I like booked my highest paying speaking job and I was like, oh, okay. And I was too scared to go self-employed at the time, but it really started to help me acknowledge and go, oh, maybe there is a different way. So positive talk, yeah, is really important, but you also want to do, I'm a massive fan of visualization. 
And you can use visualization in so many different ways to help you feel better about money and to feel differently about money. You can visualize your future self being better with money. You could visualize yourself with a certain amount of money, but it's really about like uncovering where does that uncomfortable uncomfortableness discomfort <laughs> where does that discomfort come from and I am a big fan of like looking into the past and understanding why but I think you don't need to spend your entire time in the past once you kind of have an idea maybe it's this maybe it's this it's then about looking to the future and being like what type of person do I want to be how would I like to feel about money and be with money and then what actions do I need to take to start to embody that it's that classic thing of like becoming the person that you want to be and just taking small steps. And that could be getting a budget, having a money date, doing things like that. Yeah, I'd love to talk about some of those actions. You, you mentioned the first thing is kind of acknowledging your thoughts about money and those beliefs and then maybe incorporating the mantras and kind of having a goal. But then how do you actually make change? I think some people listening will be a bit like me very like scientific and evidence-based mm -hmm. and won't like the idea of saying affirmations necessarily like what could be some practical tips that people can do to start making the changes they need to get out of this spiral of money worries and anxiety I think the key thing here is like it's going to look different for everybody so if I just give a few examples let's say that you have always been bad at like budgeting and or you don't like sticking to a budget you find yourself overspending a lot practical wear which is pretty much I think what most of the people that I speak with that's kind of their like I guess their vice first of all it's understanding okay do I have a budgeting method that works for me because a lot of the time we will use maybe a budgeting method that someone else has done or what our parents or friends are doing doesn't mean it's going to work for us it's a bit like having an exercise plan like you can't use that person's exercise plan and then expect to have the same body you have to tailor it to yourself so first off like in that instance, do you have a budgeting method or a spending plan that works for you? Okay, next up, if you are always overspending, what are some practical things you can put in place? It could be maybe little things like un, what's the word, subscribing from marketing emails, deleting some, you know, the ASOS app off your phone, having a fun pot of money that allows you to still spend, but without it feeling too restrictive. And then on an emotional level, one of the biggest things I think that helps is creating a set of financial goals and values that you can live by. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the time, our relationship with money, when we feel guilty, when we overspend, when we feel worried about spending it, it's because we don't actually know what we're working towards. And something as simple as like saying, I know that in three years time, I'd love to go traveling. I'd love to have 10,000 pounds sat in the banks so that I could go traveling. That's the North Star that you can work towards that when you then come to spend, you can say, is this purchase taking me closer to my goals or further away? Sometimes, you know, it's going to be further away, but it starts to allow you to like align your spending with your goals. Yeah. And if you also create values, like my top financial values are like travel, education and health. So I will focus on spending in those three categories if I'm setting myself a spending plan and there's a purchase that falls outside of that it's just about becoming more conscious and more mindful mm. and it's just one of those things where over time those little moments of mindfulness and habits of checking in with your finances that's what makes the biggest change it's not just one day you do one big thing and it changes it's all the little things that you do on a daily basis that's so interesting because in COVID I feel like a lot of people actually had the opportunity to save a little bit because we didn't have all of these societal pressures to go out yeah. and spend our money. And I remember I made myself a target with what I was going to save. And I love shopping. I 
there's probably some money beliefs there about kind of what the dopamine rush I get when I buy something. But I started making my shopping cart online. And then when I get to the till, I would put whatever I was about to spend on clothes or whatever it was, home bits, into my savings account. Because I started to think, would I rather have the thing I'm saving for or this quick dopamine hit. I love that. So that leans into massively, when you're spending, there's loads of different chemical reactions going on in your brain. The biggest one being you get a dopamine rush when you Mm. spend. But because of dopamine being focused on like the anticipation and the excitement, a lot of the time, it's more the act of spending money than actually what you're getting at the end. So it's so good that you were able to stop yourself. Like you're like, I've kind of had the enjoyment of filling out my basket and now I can take that money. And you're kind of re-reminding your brain, actually the reward is that I'm getting to save. The problem is a lot of people go on autopilot. So when you spend money, you are essentially changing how you feel. Maybe you're feeling stressed. So you spend therefore to get that sort of chemical release to make yourself feel better and always say just notice what the patterns are do you spend when you're bored do you spend when you're sad when you're lonely and then if you can put that blocker in and obviously you were able to take that money and like save it but maybe it's just there's like this thing called the 72 hour rule where you put things in your cart and then you wait 72 hours Mm -hmm. and then see how you feel in three days but i saw some stats literally yesterday that said online shopping gives us a higher dopamine rush than shopping like in person because something to do with like being online, getting to like tap and the digital side of it. So it's a really good, I definitely think a lot of people in COVID were honestly one of two ways. They either saved loads or because they were really struggling, actually spent more than they normally do. But what you touch on there is so interesting is about people's coping mechanisms Mm. with stress or worry. You know, some people will turn to healthy behaviors like, me now if I'm stressed I think I need to go out and exercise and clear my head or I need to call my mum and talk about it and they're kind of healthy coping mechanisms for some people it might be running a bath or listening to music or doing a hobby or going for a walk in the fresh air but some people do have unhealthy or less healthy coping behaviors like gambling a lot of that stems from running away from something or seeking something in your personal life alcohol or substance use Often these are coping mechanisms for what people are dealing with. And it's interesting to touch on spending as one of those for people that have a lot of kind of problems with their mental health. Shopping is addictive. The whole phrase shopaholic gets like thrown around. And I think it can be problematic, especially for women, because we get the narrative in the media can be like, women don't know how to manage their money. But you can get addicted to shopping because of the chemical release. And I think really acknowledging, like you say, what are my coping mechanisms? And I always say to people, if you struggle with overspending, really tapping into what is my toolkit? Is it calling a friend, running a bath? And like I always say, try and keep like for a couple of weeks a money journal. So every time you spend money or go to spend money, what were you going to buy? How much was it? And what were you feeling? And then you can start to go, oh, my trigger is this. What's the thing that I know that will change my emotional state more than just spending? Because most of the time I had a client recently who she had racked up a lot of debt. She was in a really bad place and she got to the end of this two years and she was like, I've spent all this money. I have all this stuff in my wardrobe. I've got designer bags. I've got makeup. I've got all these things. None of those things make me happy. Yet at the time, in that moment, my brain convinced me it was going to make me happy so it's utilizing that hindsight being okay and like forgiving yourself maybe for where you're at right now you know going easy on yourself and then go let's use this as data i know that a lot of this stuff that i have in my wardrobe Mm. it doesn't make me happy it doesn't 
some of it does, but a lot of it was just impulsive. So what can I do to start to redirect that energy into something that feels helps me with my financial progression and helps me with my mental health. Yeah. When you think about how our brain is wired, from an evolutionary perspective, we've evolved to protect ourselves from like, imminent dangers in our world. We're not actually programmed to plan for the future very well. And then you throw in everything we said about our complex reward systems. It's really understandable as to why mm. so many of us get ourselves into these poor spending habits and then accumulate all of this financial burden and worry. And I think the thing that you said there that I really resonated with is not necessarily blaming yourself for that. You're only doing the best with the tools that you've got to work with. And it's all about, you know, raising self-awareness and having conversations like this. One of the things I'm loving about where this conversation's going is it's not just saying, okay, you need to open this bank account and you need to invest this amount. It's all about looking inwards yeah. and seeing what are our behaviors and what things can we change? Yeah, so whenever I do talks or, or workshops, I always give this analogy of building a house. So I say, if you were building a house from scratch, but you went out and you bought like all this cool furniture, all this cool artwork, and you were gonna deck the house out with like physical things, mm -hmm. but then you built that house on a pile of mud, it does not matter what you've bought, the house is gonna fall down. Mm -hmm. And that is your money mindset. The money mindset is the foundation to your financial well-being. All of those extra things are like the practical stuff, the bank accounts you have, the budgeting spreadsheet, your ISAs, you know, all things like that. They are great and they are important, but without the emotional stability and support and understand having a good relationship with money those practical things don't really matter mm. but they're still very important well it's like the stat about lottery winners how the majority of lottery winners end up spending all the money because they haven't addressed yes. the mindset yeah and yeah so it's like 70 percent of lottery winners usually go broke within seven years wow. so it just highlights this idea of you know money happiness financial literacy and most of the time stereotypically people that do play the lottery and that play a lot have a lower level of financial literacy what then happens is they then get all this money they have no clue what to do with it you know maybe perhaps negative money mindset low financial literacy and then it doesn't get maximized or utilized in the right way not their fault at all but they're not they don't have the support i think that the lottery should have some kind of like financial well-being support for those people but yeah it it just highlights the importance of both financial education and money mindset so always say why do people have good information about money yet still make poor decisions like we know logically spend less than you earn yeah. it's like common sense mm. but yet it is so hard to do mm. and that is because you have to have a good decision making process mm. you have to have a good level of financial education but also a good relationship with money i actually read a book recently called the psychology of money <laughs> that's one of my favorite books <laughs> in the whole world i love it <laughs> And one thing that really clicked to me when I was reading it was that every time you buy something, you give the appearance of, it, of wealth, but actually you're reducing your wealth yeah. because you're spending the money that you could just have yeah. in the pot. Yeah. I always say to people, wealth is silence. So when you see somebody walking down the street, I don't know, let's just say, for example, they've got Balenciagas and they're rocking a mulberry bag and they've got a blowout and they look, you know, and you're like, oh, I bet they've got the most amazing life. They must have so much money. All you're seeing is what they've spent, mm. not how much they've saved. When somebody is saving and investing, you really don't know. Mm. And back, you know, thousands and thousands of years, you could see wealth, right? It's like, 
Mary's got seven goats in her garden. Joe's only got four goats. Mary's richer than Joe. You know, like you could see it. Yeah. But now it's the other way around because so much of it is digital. Yeah. I think reminding yourself of that is really important. A lot of the time, the best thing you want to do is increase your wealth and then utilize, you know, a portion of that to invest, to grow. And then you, off the back of that, is when you can spend to fund your lifestyle. But yeah. the problem is we're not taught that in school. And therefore we come out of school, we go to uni, we get a job and it's, get a paycheck, spend, get a paycheck, spend. And you're caught in the cycle of having to work to have to have money to fund your lifestyle. And you kind of want to get the, the bit in the middle, which is financial education and then learning like how to put a gap between you and living paycheck to paycheck, basically. Yeah, I think we're all searching for happiness, aren't we? And does money really equal happiness? Social media makes you think that it does. You know, you want to keep up with the trends. Everyone seems to have so much stuff. But actually, I think there is a threshold where you have enough. Yeah. And then having more than that doesn't actually make you any happier. I think one thing that changed in my mindset was how valuable your time is. And so you have to work more to earn more money to spend more money. But actually at what point do you start putting the value on your time and think maybe I don't want to work that much. I want to spend my time with the people I love or doing the things that I love or doing a project that is rewarding rather than financially rewarding. What's your take on that? Yeah, so there is this phrase, I can't remember who said it, but it was people spend all of their health getting wealthy and then all of their wealth getting healthy again. And it's so true because I agree, right? There is a baseline that everybody in the UK and in the world needs financially to be able to afford to live, to survive basic needs, you know, food, water, shelter. Taking that out, if, you know, everybody's on that baseline, there is a point where there is a rise in the bar of like more money, more happiness, more. And at some point it levels out and also can drop on average, because what can happen is with more money becomes potentially more stress at work, more hours, which leaves you with less leisure time. And there's a massive connection between leisure time and happiness. Mm. Also, in addition to that, there's lifestyle creep, which is essentially when you start making more money, you inflate your lifestyle to meet what you're being paid. And therefore you have a more expensive life, but you have no more financial security mm. because all you're doing is spending more. You might go to more expensive restaurants, more expensive bars, have a more expensive car, house. And there was a massive article in COVID, which was talking to people who I think were on a salary of like some of the top 2% earners. They were in like, you know, 150,000 pound plus wow. salaries. And they send all their children to private school. They've got chefs, maids. And when COVID hit, they had the same level of financial concern as people who were earning 30 to 40K. And it just highlights how without a good financial education and relationship with money, mm. more money isn't going to equal more happiness. Mm. I think it can, but you have to have those extra two ingredients mm. in there as well, which is why it's always says, if you are on a lower salary right now, what everybody wants is more money. But I say how you manage 10 pounds is how you'll manage 10,000. Mm. So if you get your good financial habits in place, First, mm -hmm. as you then start to increase your income, your financial sort of security and confidence will go with it as opposed to suddenly making more and then being like, I don't know what to do with it and then just spending it. Yeah, I think whenever we're stressed or worried about something, and I, I certainly think this conversation for some people that are really in the depths of worry about mm -hmm. money, this will be a hard listen because it really makes you 
confront things and people really struggle. They bury their head in their sand and think, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Where can someone who's feeling like that go? Where is the best place to just start? Because I see this with exercise as well. You know, someone who has this big fitness goal or maybe they've been advised to lose a bit of weight for their health and they think, oh, gosh, I've got such a long journey here. I don't know where to start. And the thought of doing a 10 minute walk seems like it's not even going to make a dent. Yeah. And I think people have that same attitude with money. So where could people start? So I always say, if you are listening to this and you currently have debt, any kind of debt, but consumer debt, so not like student loan, mortgage, business loan, but more credit cards, loans, store cards. The thing that I know helps my clients most, so I have clients come to me, we do like a session around becoming debt free and essentially what I do for them, and you can do this yourself at home, you lay out all of your debt. You figure out who do you owe, how much do you owe, what are the minimum repayments, and you just map it out so that you can see it. Which will be uncomfortable. Which is so uncomfortable. And I always say, so I have, I talk about this concept of having a money date. So quite literally dating your money. Like you set aside an evening, you know, maybe you get in your pajamas, you have a cup of tea, candles, nice music, like engage all the senses reiterate safety with yourself. Like I am doing a good thing by sitting down and working on my finances. Maybe you do it with a partner or a friend and then sit down and, and look at the lay of the land. Even if you're listening to this and you don't have debt, but you're still going, I don't really know. The aim is about getting to know your numbers. What exactly is going on? How much money do I have coming in? How much money do I have going out? Because when you know that information, that allows you to make logical and informed decisions about what to do next. Even if that next step is, I need to talk to someone else or I need to like reach out for help. But at least you have a level of understanding of what's going on because most of the time it's actually the fear of the unknown that makes us worry more. And I've had clients who've been in, you know, tens of thousands of pounds worth of debt but then we sit down, I lay it out and I go, that's all right. You're doing something about it now. And even though the debt hasn't changed, they feel so much better about mm. it. So that's always kind of like step one. And then I would always recommend alongside that doing some level of like deep diving into your relationship with money because you'll just have little light bulb moments. So yeah, a bit of money mindset work, getting to know your numbers mm. and then you can do like the positive stuff, which is like creating financial goals, getting excited about money, maybe listening to a podcast or reading a book or doing something that helps you start to feel like you're taking steps. Cause it's the same, like you say, as exercise. If right now you're ever in debt or you don't know what's going on, but you see someone on social media and they're like, I've got a hundred thousand pounds invested and I've just got a property, I bought my seventh property. And you're like, oh my God, how do I get there? You don't need to be there. Like don't try and do it all at once one step at a time that because confidence comes with taking action mm. so if you can just take one little step have you ever read the book james clear atomic habit yes i love that oh book. my god life-changing book oh my god it's life-changing hands down the best book and he talks about one percent marginal gains yeah. so if you can do that with your money one percent do something every day it's going to make a little bit of a difference and mm. over time you'll see a massive change yeah and i think that has potential to also improve your general well-being. I think lots of people that have come to this podcast are interested in improving their health. And I have personally experienced times where I've been worried about money mm. and I feel like sometimes it stems into physical symptoms and mm. I don't have it bad. So I'm not trying to say that, but you know, sometimes you experience physical symptoms, you feel a bit sick or you lose your appetite. Have you had clients where you've seen physical projections of that worry, you know, whether it's affecting their sleep or their sex drive or relationships or their appetite. Yeah, there's definitely, I think one of the most common ones that I know people experience is like panic attacks and lack of sleep, mm. like just those racing thoughts. So when they're awake, it's giving them like 
yeah, either anxiety or panic attacks and then they're going to bed. Maybe they've been ignoring it all day. Their head hits the pillow and they're like, wide awake, all the thoughts. And the thing about that is it's just that it's kind of got to that point where it feels out of control and it's coming out in like a physical manifestation. And the link between money and mental health and obviously then physical symptoms is huge. Like there is such a direct link between the two. And I think that if you have been ignoring it, sometimes that physical symptom, as painful as it is, can be like, I guess the wake up call to be like, I really need to do something about it because it's really affecting my physical health now. There's a real vicious cycle between money worries can cause mental health issues. And then when you're in that state where you're struggling with your mental health, you don't have the motivation and you're not in the best perspective to then tackle your money issues and it just spirals. And I think it's the same when I tell people to take control of their mental health, you know, and ask for help. You don't have to wait until you're rock bottom in the depths of a deep depression to ask for help you know sometimes people think I don't have it as bad as someone else and therefore I'm kind of Mm -hmm. not eligible to ask Mm -hmm. for support but actually I think this is a similar thing you don't have to wait till you've got yourself into debt to start taking action yeah I, I agree I think it's one of those things where it's not about like you say comparing side to side like I don't have it as bad as them or I'm not entitled to speak out about it or people are going to think that I'm silly for saying something when actually it's not that bad it's more am I happy in my current situation? If the answer is no, and I always say like using your body as a kind of signal is like, does this feel expansive or does this feel constrictive? And a lot of the time, if you're worrying about money, like it's gonna be a constrictive feeling. It's gonna make you kind of feel tense or you don't really wanna talk about it. That in itself is a sign to go, okay, maybe there's something that I could like work on here and I could I could change. And I think the key thing as well is it can show up in so many different ways because the link between the two is so strong. Usually people that suffer with mental health problems find it harder to manage their money. And people that are having money issues are more likely to then experience mental health issues. Like you said, it's kind of that downward spiral and you kind of want to catch it either before it gets, you know, you get too deep because it's the the more in the trenches you are, sometimes the heavier it feels to get out of it. Mm. But what I will say is no matter kind of, you know, if you're listening to this, no matter where you are, everything is figure outable. Even to the point of, you know, if I've ever had clients who, and I use debt as the example, because that feels, I think, the thing that feels most overwhelming and heavy. There are some incredible charities out there that help you manage it all and can give you a real peace of mind and clarity around kind of next steps. Mm. And this is why talking about it with friends is so important yeah. because me and a couple of my closest friends, when I first started doing this a couple of years ago, I would just talk about money at home and I'd be like, oh, you know, this, this, this is how much is saved. I'm learning about investing. And now we will help each other write write emails to get each other pay rises Hmm. and we really support each other financially just as very recently we all decided that we want to go on holiday together next year and one of the girls was like can we just like create a budget and I was like yes like let's make sure we're all aligned with how much we're happy to spend because what happens is I think if you are either earning less than your friends or you just are in a different you know not as the best financial position as them what can happen is you get that feeling of like, oh my God, I can't keep up with them, but you don't want to let that facade down. So you end up spending more to try and keep up. FOMO's a thing. There's like Instagram debt is a real thing, which is like seeing influencers 
wearing new clothes all the time and you're trying to keep up with that, like mm. keeping up with the Joneses, whether that's your friends or whether that's mm. social media, can make the problem so much worse. So if you can talk about it and open up about it, I think it's that classic thing of like a problem shared as a problem halved. Yeah, I think that's great to encourage people to have these conversations because, you know, I'm at the age now where people are buying houses mm. or paying for weddings and I look at my paycheck and I think, I could not afford a wedding. Yeah. Um, not that I'm getting married anytime yeah. soon, but you know, and you think, well, how are they doing it? And yeah. often if you just ask, they'll say, oh, I received a really generous gift or actually I've been going without for the last few years. I haven't, we haven't been on holiday or we have gone without this to be able to save for that. And I find that when you ask, people are generally quite open to discussing it. Yeah. But having that initial conversation is really difficult. Yeah. You mentioned just then about how there's lots of charities. Actually, when I was researching for our conversation, I found loads of resources. Mind Mental Health Charity have a whole page about what to do mm -hmm. if you're having money worries. And similarly, you know, when we have cancer patients or when I was working in general practice also, you can do something called social prescribing where you refer to people to help deal with those other aspects of a person's health. So I might have seen someone in GP where they were suffering with depression. And one of the factors that was their housing situation mm -hmm. or their financial situation. And so I can't fix that in a 10 minute general practice appointment, but you can refer to other people to help with support. So if anyone is struggling, I think that speaking to your GP about it is also a great place to start. Definitely. So if you won the lottery tomorrow, where are you starting? <laughs> I think if I won the lottery, I would... I would be that person who would like sit and divide it up and I would put a large chunk of it into like investments and I would really like prep for the future. And then I would go traveling. They're the things that I would do. For yeah, because sure. that investment in the future, I always think people don't like talking about saving for the future, but actually you're just putting it aside to spend later. Yes, I, I always say that. It's like all you're doing when you invest is you are just paying your future self. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time, the reason why we find it so hard to like save for retirement, save for the future, not dip into savings is there's a massive gap between our current selves and our future selves. The more you can close the gap, the more likely you are to have behaviors and habits that support both versions of you. And I think a lot of the time, especially when it comes to investing, people think it's like one or the other. It's either enjoy your money in the now or prepare for the future. You can't have both. But I'm a massive believer like you absolutely can have both. And there was a massive article that went around like a couple of years ago. I don't know if you saw it. That was like millennials need to stop buying avocado on toast and oat milk lattes so that they can buy their houses. And I was like, that is a load of crap because if you actually did the math, like it's nowhere near the same. And I'm a big believer as a coach that you don't have to cut out on the small things you love. Mm. I am that girl that will spend four pound a day on a coffee or a matcha latte. Like I don't care. But things that I don't care as much about, I will change my behaviors in other ways yeah. so that I can also enjoy my money in the now and save for the future. Like yeah. both are important. I always buy lunch out and it's just something that I really enjoy in my day. Yeah. And I'm like, I look at my bank account, I think I could save 50, 60 pounds a week if I didn't do that. But then I'm happy to say, oh, you know what? I don't want to go to that meal out this week because I need a rest. And you can make it up in other yeah. ways. But I think when we talk about saving for the future, what you touched on there is that big gap between your current self and your future self. And your priorities do change. Yeah. You know, for me now, my friends, whenever it's my birthday or something, will always get me an experience for us to spend time together. Whereas I used to be a bit more materialistic yeah. and they might buy me makeup or something because they know that would make me happy. Yeah. But actually having, to me, time with my friends and that experience is 
more valuable to me. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's only over a few years. So imagine how your priorities will change over a long period. Yeah. And I always say about like that people assume that there's like one way to balance spending, saving and investing. And I always say it's going to change. There'll be a point in your life where you've maybe got some in the bank and you're like, do you know what? Like me this summer, I didn't really save or invest that much this summer because I was like, do you know what? I need to have a a break from work and I need to go out and have some fun. Mm. Went to Ibiza, went to wilderness, like I had the best time and that was okay. Now I've come into a position where I've got a goal that within the next two years, I would like to be able to take the business, travel abroad and do stuff like that. Yeah. That requires me to have more in savings and investments. So my balance is going slightly this way. When you like you say buy a house or have a family, it's gonna go and it's gonna change only you can know what that that balance is and that's why knowing your numbers are so important knowing your goals are so important and your values and also the stats to say i think it's like millennials and or gen z's gen z's prefer experiences and me like mm. memories over mm. like physical things it's such a beautiful way to spend money that would be for example one of your values mm. like having experiences yeah so it's good to know that amazing so just to kind of summarize our talking points, because we've delved into so much great content there, what would be three takeaway tips that you would give to someone today listening to this who is worrying about their money? Okay, so tip number one would be to identify the source of your worry. Now, whether you can do that on your own or whether you do that by reaching out or working with a coach is fine, but really just asking yourself, like, what is it that's worrying me? And sometimes we just need to remember that we do have those answers inside of us. It's just like getting quiet, getting comfortable and doing that. So on a practical level, it's getting to know your numbers and creating a plan off the back of that. So the more practical kind of logical thing of understanding exactly what your money is doing, because I always say, if you don't make a plan for your money, your money is going to be the one in control. And then number three is working on your relationship with money. So whatever tools that is that work for you, it could be visualization, it could be different kind of like somatic therapies, it could be working with a coach, whatever that looks like, really starting to find ways to improve your money mindset are going to have the best kind of impact in the future as you sort of go on and out in the world. Love it. I have a closing question on this podcast. I've been asking every guest, what does health look like to you? What is your vision of health? Oh, I love that question. Okay, my vision of health is, funnily enough, I feel like me right now is my vision of health if that makes sense. So like I have a really nice morning routine. Like I go to yoga in the morning. That's good for my brain and my body. I am definitely on the sort of 80, 20 eat in front of like, I've got such a better relationship with food. And I think health also means to me like feeling confident and comfortable in my body, but not necessarily in an aesthetic way, mm -hmm. but in like a feeling. And I feel like I've really come to figure out what are the little things that make me feel good. And I've got like a little menu of different things that I know that I can do every day that make me feel good so being able to draw down on those love that thank you so much for chatting to me where can people find you so I have a podcast which is called mind money soul which is on all the platforms and then I'm also on Instagram and TikTok mainly as Laura Ann Moore thank you so much thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to vision of health I hope you take away some realistic and practical health advice that you can actually incorporate in your busy lives to become the healthiest version of yourself. If you want to hear more from me, then make sure you hit the subscribe button, share this episode, and also go follow me on Instagram, at DrFrankieJS, where I post a regular series of Women's Health Wednesdays with our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh, 
who you can also catch on socials at femfresh underscore UK and on their website, femfresh.co.uk. I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.